Today is, we're, we're talking about Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. And again, for those of you that may be coming into this series kind of partway through or haven't been here for the last couple of weeks, I want to just reiterate that we're walking one by one through the Beatitudes. And again, this, this section that we call the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, uh, verses um, really 1 through about 9, uh, actually 10, are basically the prelude or, or the preamble to a bigger message that Jesus shared called the Sermon on the Mount. And again, it's important that we read and know the Sermon on the Mount because this instruction that Jesus gives, probably more than anywhere else in Scripture, gives us a, a snapshot of what the life of the believer should look like on the inside and not just in the outward appearance. So if you haven't read the Sermon on the Mount, if you haven't studied it or spent some time in that, and you have some time to give, I want to encourage you to just study Matthew um, chapters 5, 6, and 7. There's great material there. So let's jump right in. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8 says simply this, Blessed or happy or joyful are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, this whole idea of purity, I don't know what pops into your head when you say the word pure. I'm just going to say it once and just see what you guys think. How many of you um, just saw in your mind the Pure Michigan logo? Anybody have that happen? To, uh, no, okay, just, just one maybe. But uh, when I said that word this week and I'm like, what does the word pure mean? The image that jumped into my head was like a freshly fallen snow. Have you ever, like, driven down the road and you pass by maybe a road that nobody's driven on yet after there's been a nice snowfall and and there's, like, no tracks, no tire tracks, and it's just this beautiful avenue of nothing but white, fluffy snow with nothing? Have you ever done that? Have you ever driven by a road? How many of you just automatically drive down that road to ruin it because you just want to leave your mark? Some of you do that, you evil people. But, you know, it's just, it's it's a really beautiful picture. And I actually, after I thought about it a little bit, I can remember a good friend of mine from the very first church I pastored used to use this as an example for his kids when it came to actually keeping themselves pure. He would drive them out and find a road that no one had driven on and he would talk to them and use that as kind of an example of what it was like to keep yourself pure. And and that's probably why it jumped into my head. But this morning I hadn't remembered that and then shortly after service I'm like, wait a minute, maybe that's why because I had somebody in my life that actually used that as an example. But that's a great way to look at it. The other thing that popped into my head was a maple syrup jar. You ever go to the store and buy something like syrup and on the jar it says pure maple syrup. What do they mean by that? They want you to have this image of your head that that it's just the stuff that's supposed to be there. In other words, they tap the tree, stuck the bottle there, and that's all there is, right? How many of you know that if you did that, it would taste disgusting? Maple syrup has to go through some processing before it really tastes like it's supposed to taste. But the image that they want to present to you is that there's nothing in this syrup except for what's supposed to be in this syrup. That it's in its purest form. It's unadulterated. It, it's not, it has no blemishes. It's, it's clean and it's pure. And so that's the idea that, that pops into my head when we think about uh, something being pure. There's also the image from the Old Testament that kind of jumped into my head as well. A lot of times people would, would call their sacrifices pure if it was a sheep or a goat that was without blemish or without spot. And so if you find something that's perfect, a lot of times we would say that that's pure. And I, I got to tell you, if you've observed in the world that we live in today, there's not a lot of things that are absolutely pure. 
There's not a lot of things that are, that are basically perfect. And, you know, I found this out trying to find a piece of plywood for my bathroom floor because I'm using real thin vinyl to put down. And, and almost every piece of plywood had some kind of big gouges or, or blemishes in them. And, and I learned real quick that every piece of wood is not the same as the others. And it's sometimes difficult in our world to find things that are perfect or that are without blemish. This world is trying to destroy our stuff. Can we agree on that? Can we agree that Michigan is trying to eat our cars from the bottom up? Amen? Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. Salt on the roads, my friends. Go look under your car right now. If you've had it more than a year, you're probably not going to find a spot-free, blemish-free undercarriage to your car. This world we live in has a tendency to destroy things. Why? Because the world we live in is not pure. It's not perfect. It was created to be perfect. It was created in, in, in God's plan to be pure, to be perfect. But something else got added. Other than just what God created, sin came in and, and put its stamp on creation. And now everything that we see is fallen. Everything that we see is kind of starting to die and decaying. You, you can see this in the world around us with all of the leaves that you're probably discovering were under the snow. You know, every fall we're reminded that, that things die in creation and not just in humanity. Each and every one of us. The moment we're born, begin to age, which is really a nice way of saying you're kind of slowly preparing to die. Amen? I'm sorry I'm morbid, but I'm 50 years old now. This is all getting real, right? I'm halfway to 100. I know some of you are rolling your eyes, but this is a big deal for me, man. It, it, you know, it's one of those things. But everything in creation is tainted by the stain of sin. And, and so very little in our world is pure. Now, I'm not saying that there's nothing in our world that isn't good. I'm not one of those people. I, I believe this world has some good things in it and has some good people in it. How many of you have ever eaten ice cream? Good or not good? I would say good. How many of you have ever seen a beautiful sunrise over Lake Michigan or over the mountains? Beautiful things. I believe there are all kinds of examples in our world of the footprints of God or the fingerprints of God, things that he designed, that he created to be beautiful for us. And so we live in a world that is somewhat good, and yet it bears the stain of our sins. And so this idea of purity is a hard one for us to grasp because there's very little around us in the world today that is perfect or that is pure. Now for the Jews... For the people that Jesus was talking to when he presented this message, they would have seen a very different image probably than I would. They certainly wouldn't have seen pure Michigan. There wasn't a Michigan back then. Um, they would have seen something completely different. When they heard the word pure, you know what they thought of? They thought of obey the law, do the right thing, wash your hands when you're supposed to wash them, don't touch things that Jews aren't supposed to touch, eat kosher. That's what they would have thought because they had all these regulations from the Old Testament that literally lined out in all of the, the Jewish um, way of life how to remain pure so that you would be pleasing to God. You see, God gave the law to them. He gave the Ten Commandments and he gave all of the laws so that they would recognize their sin. But somewhere along the line, they started to think, if we can just do all this stuff, then we'll be pleasing to God. And so when Jesus said that, that blessed are the pure, they probably thought, well, well, we're already blessed because I wash my hands before I eat. I, I ceremonially cleanse what I'm supposed to. I stay away from, you know, dead carcasses and dead animals and those things that can make you unclean. I don't talk to those Samaritans who are, you know, the people that the Jews had prejudice issues with. And yes, they did have issues with prejudice then, just as we do now. 
All of these things would have been running through their minds. And yet that's really not what Jesus was talking about. He wasn't concerned about them following the law or washing when they were supposed to wash. And it's not because Jesus didn't care about the law. I think that when Jesus added the words pure in heart, he deepened what he was saying. Because Jesus did want them to understand the law and its purpose. The law then as now has a purpose, and that's to show us our sin. But but exactly what did Jesus mean by the term pure in heart? What does a pure heart look like? First of all, it has nothing to do with this organ in your chest pumping blood. I hope most of you recognize that. Sometimes we have a tendency to read with simple eyes, and I've actually had kids or youth come up to me, what does it mean that Jesus lives in your heart? You know, obviously, we don't actually believe he physically takes up residence in your blood pump. You know, everybody, how many of you have a heart? Feel to see if you got one, just to make sure, you know, that it's there, right? Some of you maybe, is it on this side? Which, it's on this side, right? Did I do that wrong? It's not, Pat's laughing at me, stop it. Anyway, it's, it has nothing to do with our physical organ. It has to do, the heart has to do with everything inside of us that makes us who we are. Your will, your thoughts, your emotion, all of those things, your intentions. All of those things make up what the Bible describes in a way of either your heart or your mind. Sometimes those two terms are used somewhat interchangeably. And so it has to do with who you are on the inside. And and here's what I believe. I believe that a pure heart is a heart that looks like God's heart. I believe that a pure heart and pure intentions and and pure insides have to do with being the way that God originally created us to be. When he put Adam and Eve in the garden, they had pure hearts until the fall. And I believe when they chose to choose sin and disobedience against God, their pure hearts had something added to it. Kind of like boughten maple syrup has things added to it that don't make it as good and make it worse for you. I believe that Adam and Eve's hearts were tempered with something else. And a pure heart looks like God's heart. And and God's heart looks like the heart that Adam and Eve had before they sinned. If we kind of look at Matthew, even chapter 3, the part that, or chapter 5 rather, the part that we've been studying in the Beatitudes, Jesus gives us some ideas as to what a pure heart looks like. If you look back, he said that blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Well, he he basically meant kind of lowliness or humbleness. And so a person who has a pure heart, a heart like God's, is going to have humility in their heart. Do we agree? on that? I mean, I believe God is humble, even though he's the greatest thing in the universe and has power. He is still a humble person. He doesn't presume things. I believe that that a humble heart or a God-like heart has gentleness in it. As Jesus said in verse 5, I believe it's a heart that hungers and thirsts for righteousness, as we see in verse 6. It's a heart that is merciful, as we saw in verse 7 last week. It's, It's a heart that is pure. It's a heart that has that is peacemaking, that that looks to create peace in the world, as we're going to look at next week. And so in the Beatitudes, Jesus is already describing what the kind of heart looks like that would be pure. Paul has some things to say about it too. As we think about the heart that is the way that God originally created to be, Paul came to the understanding after he had been following Jesus for a time that even though he wasn't perfect, that the Holy Spirit of God was working to produce some things in his life that weren't Paul-like. You know, Paul, before he got saved, was a pretty rough character. Remember, he went around persecuting and arresting and killing Christians. Friends, that's not a person who loves peace. That's not a person filled with joy. That's anger. That's vengeance. That's hatred. 
But look what Paul says in Galatians 5.22. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. And again, I think Paul wrote this because he had experienced it. This kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. You see, Paul understood that even though he had confessed his sins before God, that, that there was still work to be done, that in order for him to follow God fully, God had to create in him a heart that looked like the heart of God. And he recognized that these things were being worked into him by the Holy Spirit of God. Um, now, a heart that, that isn't God-like has some characteristics as well, and Paul addresses those. And again, as you read through this list, you have to wonder, did Paul experience these things personally, or was he talking about people that he knew? So as I read through this list of bad sins, just raise your hand if you've done them recently. I'm kidding, obviously. Don't do that. I don't want to see that kind of thing happen. Here we go. So this is what he says. He says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, in other words, when your heart is not like God's, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling. Boy, do we got a bunch of that going on. Jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, quite a bit of that in today's world too, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness. Wild parties just seems kind of out, out of place there. I don't know. I, maybe Paul had just experienced something that made him put that in. I don't know. And other sins like these. Let me tell you again, he says, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Listen, that's not a fully complete list of the bad things that can exist in your heart or of the good things that can exist in your heart. But as I read that list, it kind of makes me a little bit depressed. Because while I, I read the positive part of the list, I can identify some of those things that God has put in my life. I was not always the patient man that you see before you. <laughs> I thought I'd get a chuckle out of my wife on that one, but it didn't really happen. I've not always had self-control. I've not always been as gentle as I am today. And I'm being serious. I've made progress, right? Since Jesus came into my heart, the Spirit of God has been working on me, and there's been some progress. I'm not afraid to admit that, and I'm not bragging. I'm just testifying. Because I didn't do it. The Spirit of God does it in us. How many of you have seen some progress? Don't be afraid to raise your hand if it's true. Has you seen some progress since the Spirit of God came into your life, creating these attributes of the Spirit in there? Have you? Raise your hand if you've seen it. Please, be proud of it. If the Spirit of God is working inside of you to create something new, we ought to recognize that and acknowledge it and be proud of it because that's what's supposed to happen. But as I read that other list, I can see the seeds of some of those other things in there too. Now, I may not attend wild parties. <laughs> Why did I choose that one? I've never been to a wild party in my life. The parties I go to are the most boring parties in history. Ask my children, they'll never. But, you know, there's some other things in there. You know, the, the sexual desires, some of those other things that are there. I can see in my own life that, that sometimes there's seeds of that planted. And if I'm not careful, those seeds will grow. There's seeds of anger sometimes. There's seeds of envy sometimes. And you know what? What I've discovered is that bad things grow better than good things. Right? Any of you ever tried to plant a garden? Try to grow grass? I've been trying to get grass in my backyard for four years. We put seed down. 
We put fertilizer around. We did the weed and feed thing, which I am morally opposed to, by the way. Why you would ever fertilize your grass so you can mow it more is beyond me. But I tried it because all I've got is little clumps of grass here and there. And then if I leave that yard alone, you know what will happen? The weeds will grow this tall and the grass will all die. Well, what does that tell you? It tells you that because of the stain of sin in our world, those things that are good and honest and right and just take cultivation and work to make grow. So the good things in my heart that God is trying to put there, they're going to take effort. They're going to take work. They're going to take obedience on my part as I listen to the Holy Spirit of God. But you know what? If I just don't do anything, you know what's going to happen to all those bad seeds in my heart? They're going to grow up like weeds and choke out everything. And if you're not old enough yet to have experienced this, let me assure you that it's true. It takes deliberate effort to grow the good things in your heart, the things that God intended to be there, the things that are the fingerprints of God in your life and the image of Almighty God in you. It takes work to create that. The other stuff will grow like weeds and it will literally choke the life out of you. So friends, as I look at that list, the thing that I kind of come to, the question I guess that I start asking myself is, is it even possible for us to have a pure heart in this fallen world? And from a legalistic standpoint, I'm just going to say this. Technically speaking, no. The answer is no. From a purely legalistic perspective, the Bible says that there is how many righteous? None righteous. Not even one, the Scripture says. None of us, because of the stain of sin in our fallen world, are able to become perfect yet. Now, again, some people may argue with that. It's been my experience that for most of us, we need to start measuring our progress rather than trying to get to the destination because I believe that throughout our lives until the day that we die, we should be constantly moving in the direction of being pure at heart. And those people that I've known, bless their hearts, that seem to think they've reached that mark, they almost immediately prove that they haven't. Friends, here's the thing. I believe that we should be constantly ever growing in our faith. I don't know that there is such a thing as having a completely, totally pure heart in this world. And as I look at the world around me, I I think evidence of that is everywhere. Think of some of the the pillars of faith, the, the heroes of the faith that we have looked up to over the years in public places that we thought were this close to being Jesus because they just seemed so holy and and so above all reproach. And then sometimes very publicly they've fallen, they've failed. And quite frankly, in in a lot of cases, instead of lifting them up and trying to restore them, we just burned our bridges with them. Friends, there are people that I grew up with in church. When I was a kid growing up this high, there was these men that were much older than me, so old that I pretty much thought they rivaled the age of God himself. And I looked up to those men and I thought, man, if anybody has ever achieved perfection, it's probably them. We used to throw this word around called sanctification. How many of you have heard the word sanctification? How many of you are confused as to what it means? There's a lot of people who interpret that word differently. But when I heard sanctification as a child and I understood, I I just thought that meant that, that these guys, these elders in our church were probably perfect if they were sanctified. And you know what? As I grew up, I started noticing 
that they weren't always perfect. But you know what I also began to realize? That when they failed, they worked toward perfection. You see, I believe that sanctification, that word, simply means that we have to have a perfect love. And some of our early Church of God writers wrote about this. They believed that sanctification could be uh, equated to perfect love. In other words, maybe in practice you don't always succeed at doing the right thing, but the deepest desire of your heart is to do the right thing. Your, your intentions may be perfect. Your love for God could be perfect, even though the way that you live that out sometimes would not measure up to God's standard. And, and as long as the intent of your heart is always to seek God and and to confess your sins when they happen and to restore yourself um, through confession and and drawing closer to God that that you could be sanctified and that that love that you had for the Savior was so deep and so strong that, that you could be described as being sanctified even though you still failed once in a while because to be perfectly honest, I've never met anybody who didn't fail at least from time to time. Even Pastor Dennis has made mistakes. Ask his wife, she'll tell you. Sanctification is what I would consider to be kind of the act of creating a pure heart. And all of us, at the beginning of creation at least, Adam and Eve were born with a heart that was perfect, that was pure. Sin, unfortunately, has been added to that pure heart. And now the results have been terrible, catastrophic. Look around our world and you can see the results. But I believe through Jesus Christ... And recognizing what God did by sending him to the cross of Calvary, we can be seen by God as perfect because we're moving toward him instead of having to be perfect all at once. And because we recognize that that Jesus came and he died for our sins, if we confess our sins, Scripture says he is faithful to forgive us of our sins and then cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That cleansing is the process of God giving us a pure heart. Here's what I want to tell you though. I believe that the process of getting a pure heart means that you have to be rec- that you have to recognize your sinfulness on a regular basis. You see, I know some people that have said, yeah, I, I've sinned, I've confessed my sin, I'm good with God, so now I can just go on with my life and kind of forget that God exists. I know some people who kind of treat their Christianity that way. As long as I go to church, pretend to sing, and put at least an empty offering envelope in the, in the offering envelope. It's, it's good to go. People think I'm given. It's okay, right? As long as I look good on the outside, everything's good. But that's not the idea here. What God intended for us was that we're ever and continually growing closer to him. So as we recognize who we are, that puts us into a different state of mind. As we acknowledge our sin, it causes us to act differently. There's a a soberness and a seriousness, a, a gratitude for what Christ has done. It creates a humility in our lives that isn't there if we just assume we're good. And so we need to, on a regular basis, remember that we are fallen creatures. Remember that, that we need God's forgiveness, not just once for all, but on a continuing basis. And, and, and not that we have to somehow do that through self-deprecation. I think we need to understand that we're children of God. And that's an exciting thing. But until we reach heaven, there's going to be struggles. And unless we recognize that, then we're going to just forget to work on our faith. We're going to forget to move in the direction of a pure heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, Jesus said, for they shall see God. And friends, I believe that the best way that you can work on a a pure heart, the best way you can find a pure heart, 
is to see God, to spend time with Him, to come to know Him. And as you do that, the the eventual result of that will be that you will see God, yes, face to face someday when He comes to take us all to heaven or when you pass away and, and go into His kingdom. But I believe that you will also begin to see God everywhere that you look. Because you know what? As I look for the imprint of God on, on people and on things, I see God all over in His creation. As bad as our world is, I think there are still glimpses of Him out there. And I think it's high time the church led the way in looking for those glimpses. You know what? I want to challenge you that as you look at other people, that you try not to see their sin, but try to see God in them. Try to see the good that they do. Try to see something positive so that you can encourage that and build relationship. Because only then will we ever as believers earn the right to talk to them about what might be wrong. Let's look for what is right. And identify with that and resonate with that. And then we can start moving through the process of helping them to see some of the areas where the Spirit of God may want to work on their lives. Just like He's working on our lives. Friends, I believe that as we grow closer to Christ, as Paul discovered and as he wrote about, God will help us to weed out those things that are interfering with us having a pure heart. The biggest question is, are we going to let Him? The process is simple. When you fail, you confess your sins to God. And when God speaks to you, and I believe he will, and and tells you how to overcome that and how to get that out of your life, actually listen and do what he says. I know that sounds completely unreasonable, but actually listen. There have been a few times in my life, I'll confess this to you since I'm the one talking, that I've said to God, you know, hey, I, I failed at this. I'm struggling with this. I need your help with this. And, and he and his love and grace looked down at me and, and kind of gave me the impression or gave me a scripture or gave me a song that told me this is what you need to do. And I'm like, mm, that seems hard. Yeah, I'll try that sometime. But for right now, I'm kind of just wanting to coast. And, you know, I think a lot of us do that. And when we do that, we lose sensitivity, I believe, to the Holy Spirit's call in our lives. True obedience, perfect love, sanctification, a pure heart, whatever you want to call it, if we want to have that, it means that we have to listen to God and we have to obey. Trust and obey. It's a song even. Trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. I believe the song is true and that's what we need in today's world. Pray with me, would you? Father, I come before you today, and and again, I give you thanks for your word and for what it teaches us. I, I thank you, God, for providing a way that fallen humanity can be seen as pure in your eyes. Through Jesus' death on the cross of Calvary, every single one of us uh, can recognize that we are sinners and pray for your forgiveness and receive that forgiveness. But not only forgiveness, we receive in that moment, I believe, help. With, with working through the processes of our life, the things in our life that, that will pull us away from you. Lord, I pray that, that you would help each one of us to recognize where maybe some of the weeds in our hearts are growing up, some of those um, seeds that are leading to, to sinful things in our lives. Help us to recognize them and, and be willing to allow God to help us to, to cut those things out, to get rid of them so that our hearts can be pure before you. I pray that you would help us each and every day to to work at and spend time at seeing your face so that we can see how our lives don't match up with yours.
And I pray that your spirit would work in us and through us to help us to discover what needs to stay, what, what is God-like, and, and what needs to go, what looks like the flesh or what looks like the sinful nature. And as we work through that process, I believe that we will become more and more alive in our spirits, even though as we age, our bodies are aging fast. Father, I pray that you would help each one who is here today to take a few moments to take stock of where they're at. And if there are those who are here that that maybe aren't hearing you saying anything to them, I pray that you would allow them just to be open to the, the conversation that I believe your spirit wants to have with each one of us on a daily basis about what is our next step to follow you. God, I just thank you in the name of the one who came and died on the cross for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.